Hello everybody, Mark Carlson here, SNEA Technical Council Co-Chair. Welcome to the SDC Podcast. Every week, the SDC Podcast presents important technical topics to the storage developer community. Each episode is hand-selected by the SNEA Technical Council from the presentations at our annual Storage Developer Conference. The link to the slides is available in the show notes at snea.org slash podcasts. You are listening to SDC Podcast, episode 162. Hello, everybody, and welcome to uh, the Storage Developers Conference, and thank you for attending this session. Today's session will be on ransomware, practical steps for mitigation and recovery. So if, in fact, you are unfortunately a victim of a ransomware attack. This is the type of screen that you would see. Hopefully you never see this type of screen, but if you are a victim, then you would see this kind of screen. Obviously it would probably be, my guess is that the amount that they're requesting is probably gonna be larger than what you see on this sample screen, but uh, hopefully that doesn't happen to you. But uh, in in case, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll go through some mitigation uh, steps here to, to help you through that as well. So at, the, at a high level, ransomware is obviously a never-ending storm. We're seeing constant threats. It's actually growing tremendously, which we'll talk about a little, in a little bit more detail. And it's really not just big organizations that are being targeted. And that's one of the big takeaways here is... Uh, is just about everybody uh, is, is really a target for attack. And the other big takeaway is that paying ransom is really no guarantee of recovery. So they might even, even if you pay the ransom, they give you a key, which is the encryption, the, the decryption key. Uh, and in fact, that may not work. And if, if it does partially work, it might actually uh, uh, corrupt your data. So uh, interesting point. We see that quite a bit more than what you would expect. Um, and certainly now, especially in the U.S., there's uh, some legislation that has been put in place that uh, if you are paying ransom, you may be put in jail, depending on if the bad actors, if you will, of the ransomware attack are actually able to be identified. And if so, and they're part of a what is classified as a terrorist organization by the U.S. government, then uh, not only could you be fined, or you could be actually put in jail if, in fact, you end up paying the ransom. So interesting to, to keep an eye on uh, what's going on from a legislation uh, perspective. Uh, what we're also seeing quite a bit of nowadays is uh, ransomware as a service is really a uh, a huge one. Uh, we have some uh, bad actors, but also some groups of bad actors that put together and actually develop um, companies that do nothing more than a ransom, ransomware as a service uh, and literally sell the code so that you don't actually have to even be a developer or a, a software developer. You can actually just buy the uh, code from these uh, from these uh, bad actor groups, and they'll provide things like software developer kits to be able to easily make some changes if 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 need be. And we're seeing quite a bit of that as as time goes on. So 
stop for a minute and just introduce ourselves, are the two presenters here, myself uh, at the top here, Thomas Rivera. So I've been in the in industry for a long time and uh, active within the Storage Networking Industry Association, otherwise known as SNEA, for quite a long time um, and active uh, in co-chair of the Data Protection and Privacy Committee. Also involved with some other standards-based organizations um, that are uh, gl global in nature, uh, thing places like IEEE and uh, and some of the insights work with uh, working with ISO. So um, that's a little bit about myself, and then I'll uh, hand it over to Manir to let Manir introduce himself. Manir, thank you, Thomas. So uh, this is Munir and Mosley. I am a senior manager with Ernest Young. And I've been fascinated with storage all my life. I also sit with Thomas on the Data Protection Privacy Committee, and I lead the data recovery and data protection within EY. And uh, it's a pleasure to be with you today, and I look forward to bringing some valuable information to the audiences. Thomas, yours. Great. Thank you, Manir. And a uh, quick abstract on what we're going to be covering today. Uh, obviously, hopefully, uh, you've already seen the abstract, which is probably why you're here today. We'll talk about, obviously, ransomware and get a little bit into uh, what we're seeing from a ransomware perspective and also for some preventative measures and some leading practices, uh, some recovery measures to, to help um, uh, along. And then, um, well, in terms of the agenda, this is what we're going to cover today. Um, and these are the uh, sections that you'll see, um, and we'll head right into it. So first off, uh, ransomware, what it is and uh, why do we care? So ransomware at a high level is really nothing more than software that uses encryption to disable a target's access to a data. So basically data that you own, they come in and they encrypt your data so that you can't access it anymore. And they provide a, a message to you to say, hey, you know, give me some money. And uh, that ransom there then is requested for the payment that then you want to pay them typically by a Bitcoin or some other uh, type of uh, electronic means. And then the idea is that they would provide a, a decryption key uh, once the ransom is paid. Um, so that's what it is at a high level. Why would we care? Well, we should care because uh, certainly there is really no safe haven per se from ransomware. So, you know, the the state of the industry is such that bad actors really can just, you know, basically get into any organization in any network that they care to get into with some amount of work without too much um, I don't think there would be too much of a um, concern of a disagreement on um, that fact of, you know, basically if they want to get in, there'll they'll be a way to get in. may not be easy, but they're pretty much going to find a way to, to, to get into your network. And then there's all different types of malware, which we won't get in today. We're going to focus on ransomware today. Um, but really, the other big takeaway here is uh, a lot of the recent high profile victims had this mindset and sort of assumed that they were safe um, because they, in some cases, heavily invested in some uh, security and 
basically in their security posture, which you know could be into into the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. Um, so you certainly don't want to make that assumption because the landscape's changing, and the methods by which bad actors are entering your network are constantly changing, including including things like uh, brand new zero day attacks that we've never seen before. So just keep that in mind. Um, from a kill chain perspective, in the world of uh, data security, there's this concept of cyber kill chain, and often you'll see the acronym CKC. Uh, and so the cyber kill chain, and this was originally developed by Lockheed Martin, um, it's really a series of steps by which bad actors use to uh, not just gain access to your network, but also do the bad things that they want to do. Um, in, in this case, we'll be talking about ransomware. So really, the the ransomware-specific parts of the kill chain are in this red rectangle area that starts with step two. Um, step one was always the case. You know, they're going to do some reconnaissance first, uh, harvest some information, and that information could be things like get data from mailing lists and check what uh, how uh, individuals within that organization are posting on social media, find out what open ports are available on that uh, organization's network and potential vulnerabilities into certain services and applications. And that's all part of the reconnaissance. And the next step is really the weaponization. And the weaponization has to do with having some, uh, uh, some amount of code that is gonna be used to figure out what would based on the information that we now have uh, from the reconnaissance, what can we use to basically weaponize, if you will, uh, the information to be able to go after this particular organization that they're targeting. So that was step two. So next step is delivery, step three. Delivery is really the sort of formulating all the different ways that they wanna deliver the malicious payload. Uh, beating, in other words, the the, the bad code that uh, they want to inject into your environment. Uh, and that could be, you know, via email attachments. It could be putting it on a flash drive and hoping that one of the uh, employees within that organization sticks the flash drive in there and then it automatically downloads some bad code or malware, if you will. Um, and so that's really the delivery stage. The next step is the exploitation. And the exploitation phase is, is really, as it as the name implies, it exploits the vulnerability on that target environment. So, you know, the idea is they want to execute the malicious payload and then provide the attackers with whatever the minimum required access is that they need to get into the environment. Once they're in, that's the exploitation, then it goes into the installation. So, in the next step or phase, the installation phase, it's really now propagating this malware, this bad code or what we called payload before, uh, into the network uh, and potentially into you know, additional systems. And that could be through multiple tools. And you know, there's, there's a couple of different uh, methods through things like backdoors and uh, remote uh, access trojans, which is referred to as RATS uh, is, is the um, acronym, and being able to use those to then uh, 
install the appropriate uh, bad code on the network. And then this step six is, is really the command and control. This is also known as C and C, or sometimes you'll be you'll hear it referred to as just C2. And this command and control step is really delivering the commands of um, to the malware uh, remotely. So they will now have the ability based on the code that they already installed in, in your network to literally remotely um, detonate the bad code that that they had already installed on your network. Now what they do is various various things. So they, they might actually do that. And by the way, it might be timed. So they, it might have a timer on it to not do it immediately, but it might be wait for five days and then do it, for example. But they might do it to then exfiltrate data, um, basically steal some private information, for example. Um, and they might, you know, and this could be the start of basically um, the start of acting on their objectives, which is really the last step. And the last step seven is actions on the objective. So at this point, they're really going to now access and, and exfiltrate the private information, uh, potentially encrypt files. And that's really where the ransomware comes in. Once they encrypt the files, they'll then send a message and say, hey, you know, we just encrypted your data. Please, uh, please pay this ransom. Uh, so that's that's the uh, kill chain in a, in a nutshell. So what we're seeing from the victim landscape perspective is um, overall, we're certainly keep in mind. I think I mentioned this earlier that everyone's really a potential target of ransomware. And last year, we saw 84 84% of the U.S. organizations have in fact reported uh, phishing or ransomware incidents pretty high number. So that's, you know, literally over three quarters of, of the organizations that are around within the U.S. actually uh, reported a, a ransomware attack. Um, and then the average payment last year was $312,000, and that's per ransomware incident. The first half of this year, it climbed to $570,000, again, average per ransomware incident. So it's a pretty huge uh, jump from last year to this year. Uh, also this year we're seeing uh, every 11 seconds on average uh, companies being hit with ransomware. Uh, 10 years from now they're they're uh, making a, um, a bold statement that uh, prediction that uh, it'll be every two seconds that ransomware attack will be taking place versus 11 seconds as it is today. And then on the right-hand side, we show a graph here, a couple of different colored circles. And the, the thing we're wanting to point out here is that um, from the previous years, ransomware was approximately 13% of all the cyber attacks that took place, as opposed to this just last year, 2020, uh, ransomware as a cyber attack was over half of all attacks uh, that all of, half of all cyber attacks that took place. So a huge uh, spike in, uh, in the ransomware attacks that we're seeing uh, in general. Some of the whole high profile attacks that we're seeing are uh, re recently anywhere are, are go all the way from healthcare to, we saw one recently in supply chain and saw a very high profile one that you probably remember 
just a few months ago in the energy supply market that had to do with uh, the distribution of uh, fuel uh, on the East Coast. So um, we're seeing uh, some of the common uh, motivations are um, certainly monetary gain, but interestingly enough, it's not necessarily just monetary gain. And in some cases, they're not asking for uh, necessarily for the reasons of money in and of itself. Some are actually doing it to fight for some cause. And that cause could be political or social or maybe a religious cause. And by the way, those are typically referred to as hacktivism. And then we're seeing a lot of the desire to uh, really do disrupt, disruption and, and instability. So they're uh, either doing this uh, on behalf of someone else. It could be they're being paid to do this either for a company or for their government or maybe for a, a group of people. Um, and lastly, some do it just for the ego. Uh, they, they're either trying to boost their own reputation or for marketing purposes and you know, things like that. So we're seeing all kinds of different reasons for uh, on the motivation side. From a overall global damage from ransomware, we're, we're seeing, uh, as you can see in this slide, the last few years, how it's gone up in terms of overall global damage uh, from ransomware. Just this morning, I was reading an article that showed that, oh, by the way, this, this current year, 2021, we're already up to 20 billion dollars. By the way, this number was just as of August of this year. Obviously, we're not done with the year 2021, so we're going to see this obviously grow much higher. Um, so just to give you a, an idea of how fast it's growing globally from a ransomware damage perspective. I was just reading in this article uh, this morning that uh, there is an estimate that this uh, global damage within 10 years is is going to be uh, not not you know in the 20 billion range. It's going to be literally hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, I actually saw it was somewhere in the order of half a trillion dollars in 10 years um, is the estimate. So interesting to see how things are progressing and 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 growing at exponentially. So at this point, I'm going to turn it over to Manira for. Uh, first going into preventative measures and then a few other sections. Thank you, Thomas. Do you mind moving forward? Sure. All right, so what are the potential domains for preventive measures? The idea here is it's good to have a good preventive measures, but don't assume that you're safe because as we said earlier, this is a very lucrative business that many, many, many nations and organizations are thinking of this as a sort of revenue. So basically, the education is the best. So education and culture, you need to train your uh, employees on the potential risks of clicking of unidentified emails or clicking on any unknown links. This is one of the major concerns. So Phishing emails is a serious one. Uh, uh, your end user should stay clear from links or download attachments from unknown emails. Don't assume that every email is, is safe. You may want to consider that 
if it's internal to your organization, there is a good level of safety. But again, don't assume that because if one of your teammates clicked on the wrong link, the bad actor might try it on his email. And of course, try to use multi-factor authentication. Uh, from administrative perspective, uh, this is the uh, vulnerability management. Uh, you need to make sure that you update the, you update your uh, your systems through patching and uh, and software upgrades as frequent as possible. This is something that should not be delayed. There have been many uncovered uh, vulnerabilities in operating systems, especially if they are not patched. So you need to make sure that you patch your OS, your browser, your plugins as regularly as possible. Uh, patch all application software and make sure you run the latest and the greatest software that you're running. Uh, use all necessary tools like antivirus software and make sure that those kind of antivirus software are always updated and up to the last release. And then finally, uh, enforce immutable backup. And we're going to discuss immutable backup later on. If you have any concern, you can ask about that. Uh, use micro segmentation to limit the potential damage following an infection and refrain from using an unencrypted public connection. So whenever possible, try to use your corporate VPN. Can we move to the next slide? All right, so I just want to expand a little bit about micro-segmentation. So what is micro-segmentation actually? Uh, micro-segmentation uses network virtualization technology to create a granular secure zones in the data center and cloud deployment, which will eventually isolate each individual workload or host in its own domain and refrain from propagating the bad actors across. Also, micro-segmentation assumes that every access is a malicious access, and by reducing the blast radius by adopting macro and micro-segmentation to control vertical and lateral movement of bad code. We move forward. So what about recovery measures? All right, the, the most proven recovery measure that we have been seeing so far is air gapping your backup. And the idea here is the, the backup is the first target for the bad actor. So if they find a way to reach to your backup, then it's a, it's a fair game, it's gone. So the uh, air gap, air gapping the backup actually puts the backup contents behind uh, uh, a, a controlled connection that is not easily accessible within even the organization. So based on the assumption that every access is a malicious, you would want to have your air gap solution as isolated as you could potentially do to protect the data. In addition, in your backup air gap solution, you should consider having uh, some sort of uh, a 
uh, I wouldn't say of some sort, you should consider uh, uh, eliminating the ability to run any code into the isolated environment. Meaning, if in the likely event you get infected, if you try to run a, a binary code like uh, an EXE or COM code, which has been infected, this will propagate everywhere in your isolated environment. So you would want to have no binary executables in your environment. You can send as much data as you want, but don't assume it's safe. If you want to test it, you have to take it outside your isolated environment to test it, but don't have any binary executable in the uh, isolated environment. All right, so again, just, just before we move from this slide, Tom, is that it is ideal to have your backup contents in the isolated environment in an immutable format. This will prevent the spreading of bad actors if it ever happens. So use immutable backups in the, uh, the environment where you can for the isolated or the air gap solution. Can we move to the next slide? Uh, another point that we keep hearing coming from end users is, I do have snapshots, so I'm safe. And I just want to clarify the myth around snapshots is the fact that because snapshots are extremely efficient tool, it builds on your original data set. So it's a pointer to your original data set. This is not a full data set. So if you have a good snapshot, but you have a corrupted original data set, your snapshot is useless. So just make sure that if even if you decided to depend on snapshots, that you have a safe copy or clone of your data somewhere that the snapshot can point to. And finally, uh, a, a ransomware attack is likely to prohibit users from accessing production data anyway. So you might want to consider cloning your data to a separate environment and make it immutable just in case if something goes wrong. And we move to the next slide. And last point, which is encryption. And again, I want to clarify the myth around encryption. Encryption is not a protection against ransomware, but encrypting your data can help preventing the data uh, exploitation and exfiltration. So, so if you don't have encryption in place and the bad actor have access to your data, you don't want him to take this data and sell it on the dark web. So encrypting the data might be a good precautionary measures for that. Again, this needs to be taken with a grain of salt because encryption might end up to be a serious problem later on. So a good management for the key of encryption is a very well required hygiene in this thing. Can we move to the next slide? So recommended actions from technology perspective, Practice good cyber hygiene where possible. As we said earlier, patch and update OS 
browsers and plugins and applications as regularly as you can possibly can don't delay it to the next cycle or something uh, i have seen customers do patching like monthly even if you can do that this is even a better patch uh, enforce multi-factor authentication so that the bad actor will have more than one way of challenge to access your data uh, keep your antivirus software updated along with vendor signature and disable micros and limit remote access to the organization network. In addition to that, deploy in defense, the deploy defense in-depth methodology and the principle of least privilege. So don't give any end user privilege more than is required because this could be at the door to multiple issues. Test ransomware recovery capability routinely. Consider deploying artificial intelligence, IT operation, and predictive analytics for your backups and your environment. Categorize and separate data based on organizational value and participate in cybersecurity information sharing programs. For example, MS, Isaac, and InfraGuard. Can we move to the next slide? So cyber protection, some customers said, I'm insured, so I don't really care. And the fact is cyber insurance is not a panacea for ransomware. Ransomware payments are increasingly being excluded from cyber insurance. So you might be on your own if you think that the insurance is gonna save you. Uh, in many situations, the recovery cost not covered or not included in cyber insurance. Attacks from nation states or non-terrorist groups may be excluded from cyber insurance policy. And infected systems can be considered evidence. I've seen some customers, when they tried to rebuild their systems from scratch, they were told don't touch these systems because they are considered evidence and you have to go and buy your new hardware. So this is something you might want to consider in the future. Can we move to the next slide? All right, so make sure that you include security by design in every piece of software you deploy or you develop. Make ransomware protection part of your design process for emerging storage technologies. Uh, traditional data protection technologies fail short protecting against ransomware. So you need to revise and validate your data protection to see if they can recover you or what other measures you have in place for that. As we said earlier, backup is the most required target for bad actors. And do not assume that you will be protected with emerging storage technology. You need to do your due diligence and regularly revisit those capabilities. So moving forward for recommended recovery steps following an inevitable. So here, what we're trying to say is don't be a hero. Don't try to fix something on their own. Chances are the problems are much, much bigger than what you've seen on your desktop or your end user station. So don't try to work on your own. 
immediately, if you see the screen that Thomas has advised, immediately notify your IT and security team and avoid restarting your computer until further instruction is available. So if you had this kind of a screenshot that Thomas has provided, and only if you received an authorization to do, consider the points you can, you're looking at, quarantine the affected system, make a block level clone of your infected device, attempt disk decryption with ransomware and decryption tools, restore infected systems from a clean version, restore data from a clean backup, and sanitize removal. Now, this is not a license to go to do any of these. You need to make sure you receive instructions and approval to do that. Otherwise, the problem would grow bigger, bigger, and bigger. So in summary, threat landscape is changing rapidly. Specific regulations may even complicate the recovery issue and prevent you from paying ransomware. Start with security 101, prevention is the best defense, but it's not the ultimate defense. I need to repeat that. Ransomware may be a reportable incident about data breach to your organization that could potentially bring you to a lot of scrutiny. Uh, developers are equally target like everybody else, but the, the bad news about developers is uh, the, the bad actor may write on a developed code to contaminate an environment. So they, are, they might not be looking for a financial return by infecting a developer, but writing on a developer code will open all the, de the doors for potentially a lot of uh, revenue moving forward. So again, ensure that you have proper uh, appropriate security software installed, running an up-to-date, and enforce immutable backup. So for additional resources, please visit the links here and also the appendix to the uh, environment. And that concludes my uh, portion of the deck. Uh, thank you so much for your time. I'll move it back to uh, Thomas. Great, thank you, Manir. Very nice job. And thanks everybody for uh, joining today's session. Please do check out the other uh, sessions that are related uh, in the uh, data security and privacy track, as well as the data protection uh, technologies track uh, within the uh, storage developers conference. And also lastly, please do take a moment to rate this session so that we can continue to do a better and better job. Again, thanks for, for joining us today. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. If you have questions about the material presented in this podcast, be sure and join our developers mailing list by sending an email to developers-subscribe at SNEA.org. Here you can ask questions and discuss this topic further with your peers in the storage developer community. For additional information about the Storage Developer Conference, visit www.storagedeveloper.org.